House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Joining us on the line, we have a special guest, uh, Bobby Wallison, um, who has in a feature and is one of the writers of a book called Unmade. Um, so welcome to the show, uh, Bobby. Hello, how are you? Uh, and Mike. <laughs> Hello, how you doing? We're, we're both very good. Both very good. Um, let's let's talk about this book you're in, um, and that you've um, were one of the writers of, and it's it's really the story of your life um, up till now. Well, you know, Al, if, if your best bet is to stop the story from the beginning, from the childhood. When I was six years old, I lived in a place called Oakland Beach. It was on the water. It was a nice little town then. Not more than I can say right now, but what happened is my father, being an alcoholic, being a very violent alcoholic, didn't pay the electric bill or the gas bill. So it it's appeared that we were either going to go to the neighbor's house or, 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 or look for help. My mother went to get some water, some hot water. What well, when she left because there was no electricity, there was candles lit. I lit the house on fire, it burnt down. It was a three tenement house, and then we moved. We moved on from there. My father never forgave me for that. So he knew it. I, oh yeah, but it was his fault. Mm. He was blaming everybody else. But I mean, you want to blame a six-year-old kid? Anyway, yeah. we moved to the next house, 1962 or three, whatever it was, when Kennedy died on November 22nd. Yeah. This was a few days later, and the casket was going down Pennsylvania Avenue with the, you know, with the flag-covered uh, coffin. Mm -hmm. And my, I'm sitting with my father, and he gets up to get a beer. When while he was gone, I turn it. We only had five stations: UHF. VHF, 10, 12, and 6, remember? Mm. Well, I don't know how old you are, but oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And so I turn it to the Roadrunner when my father comes back. He said, you sucker, get up and go to your room. And don't get in the bed. Get under the bed. So... That was still something, I think, from burning down the house. And it carried through. So my position of under the bed was I got to know my aunts and uncles by their ankles. Hmm. They'd walk in and say, hey, Uncle Ray, it's Bobby, I'm under here, hey. You know, so all this stuff built up. And then he threw my sister out. I was 12. He threw her out when she was 13. I went and found her Christmas Eve, and I spent the night with her and her junkie boyfriend. She was already a junkie at 13. When I returned home, I snuck in the house, and my father said, turned the switch on for the light and said, Where the f*** are you? I said, Dad, I was with Patty. 
It's Christmas. I was with Patty. He said, okay. He opened the door. He said, get the f*** out. And you were 12? I had pajamas on. I was 12. I had pajamas on. He said, get out. So I started to walk down the stairs. He grabbed the Christmas tree and starts beating the Christmas tree over my head all the way down three flights of stairs until I finally got out the door in a blizzard, on, you know, on Christmas, late Christmas Eve. Right. And that was it. It never came back. Gee. And I, I, felt, I felt redemption. Hmm. Like, this is great. I'm, I'm, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, of course, that led to crime. I, I slept in a box in the, in the projects, in the Harvard projects, for, for, for quite a while. It was a refrigerator box. Hmm. And I, I hooked it up. I didn't have no cable or anything, but I was, I was doing it, you know? Hmm. And um, finally, I, I, ended up in the, I ended up in the bad boys' school. Sakanasa is called the Rhode Island Training School for Boys, hmm. and from there I kept breaking out. They couldn't hold me; they couldn't contain me. So they waved me out of the juvenile court at 15 years old. They sent me to the superior court with the judge. Sentenced me to the ACI to be charged as an adult hmm. and while I was there I, I knew some guys from the training school mm-hmm. but while I was there this guy Eddie Franco bad dude but he was a bad dude only in the prison he had no real mob connections and he was so jealous of the mob he went at Maimon L.S. Petriaca the boss of the New England crime family and Gerard were met, the number two man in the prison at the time, under Raymond. But he he asked me to come with him. I didn't know where he was going, so I walked with him. There was about 20 guys. We all walked over to the North State Wing, which is all the mob guys. And I realized what was going on. He pulled out a shank to the number two, and he said, Where's Ronnie Sweet? He broke the jaw of my friend Anthony when I was in Connecticut. Get him out here. And I went, oh, my word, what did I just get into? Hmm. I put two two hands on his forearm, and I pulled the shank down. And I get close to his face and told him, you can't do this. Are you fucking crazy? Do you know who these people are? I'm only a kid. That balls of a bull. <laughs> so... Anyway, they end up taking me under their wing. I'll make it a little uh, a, a little condensed. Mm-hmm. They take me under their wing in there. They give me the scotch with the glass and the ice cubes, and I'm walking around the wing like a big shot, and I'm loving it. And then I go back to my cell, and I have a manic attack. I totally lose it because they wanted to lock me up for being late, getting back to my cell. There's six guards. I fight them. As many as, many as I could handle, three of them get away, and then the state police come in with the helmets and the shields and the clubs, and they, uh, 
they attacked me. Mm. But I went at them like a missile. Mm. I, I had a long, like, 100-yard run before I got to them. Hmm. And I ran as fast as I could and just dove straight into them. Hmm. It was incredible. Everybody heard about it. And it raised the uh, the uh, Franco saga a little higher on the pole. Right. You know what I mean now? And by the time I hit the streets, after going through Pinnell, Pinnell is a criminally insane with the street jacket and, and the padded room. After fighting with the cops, they thought I was totally out of my mind. I wasn't. I was just manic. Mm -hmm. But I hit the streets, and somehow, Nicky Bianco calls for me. It was a call from one of the guys I know. Hey, Nicky Bianco wants you to come to his house tomorrow at so, 9 o'clock. Do you know how he knew you? How he knew of you? He, he, he knew of me through a girl I was seeing. Her mother was seeing him, and he's married. So she was the Gumada, mm. the mother. So my girlfriend's Gumada's boyfriend, Donald Lucilio, who just died about three months ago, mm. he's the one that gave me the call because he was keeping Nikki informed. Hey, I got this kid, he's crazy, but he's sharp. You know, Nicky wants sharp. He doesn't want crazy. Right. So Nicky, Nicky's the underboss, right? Nicky's the underboss at that time because 84, uh, his son became underboss. So he didn't, he didn't become boss until about 89. Okay. But... But he's still on the Bosch running, the, you know, Raymond Petriak is on a stretcher going back and forth to the court. He's got charges, but he's like on a stretcher, can't breathe, oxygen. You know, Nicky's the boss. Right. So, so Nicky called me to his house, and his wife, who was so gorgeous, so <laughs> hot. Like I was Jackie Gleason. Hamina, 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 hamina. Is Nikki home? You know. Yeah. And she just, um, she said, yeah, we here. I'll go get him for you. And she asked me my name again. What's your name again? So I'm waiting. And I got there 10 minutes early. I was sitting in front of his house. and didn't want to go too early. To make a long story short, she said, go on the back. Go in the gazebo. Nicky comes out. He says, how you doing? Nice to meet you. He says, listen, first of all, something that's very important. When I say 9 o'clock, it means the little hand on the 9 <laughs> and the big hand on the 12. And I'm not going to rat on his wife. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, well, I was here at 10 out knocking on the door. I wasn't yeah. going to say that, so I didn't. Yeah. So, anyway... He goes into the garage. He gets a shovel, long handle shovel, mm -hmm. spade. We walk over to a nice grassy area in the backyard. And he says, uh, I want to dig a koi pond. You know, you like koi? I said, yeah, actually I do. They're, they're soothing. They're beautiful to look at. So 
He goes, all right. So he grabs one of the steak sticks, you know, you do a steak with, mm-hmm. and he draws a line of a kidney-shaped koi pond. I don't know, 12 feet by 7 feet, something like that. So I I said, no, no problem, Nick. So he leaves, he goes in the house. I do the outline, I get the center, throw it all out, and knock on the door. I said, here you go. So he comes out. He says, you know, I thought about it as you were digging. If I'm going to dig a hole in my backyard, I might as well be able to put people in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what he said. So I said, okay, okay. (laughs) You know, he goes, yeah, let's go like this. He actually did a nice outline of the pool, a regular, full-size, kidney-shaped, six-foot, you know, three-foot at the other end. So I said, okay, that's good. So um, are you going to get the backhoe up here? He said, no, I don't want anybody to see what's going on. They'll be looking in and everything. Why don't we just dig a little at a time, and we'll get it done. So I'm no fool. Right there I knew. I'm digging a pool myself. Hmm. I asked for a little help one day, about a week later, and uh, he sent up a guy that was like 72 years old. They call him John Doe. That's his name, John Doe. And he helped. He helped a bit. But um, I stood strong. And I wanted to get done. He put up a light for me right over the pool area. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going. But when he wasn't there, at least I thought he wasn't there, I was going. I would mm-hmm. dig the spade into the bottom and grab some dirt and go, small hand on the nine, throw it out, and do it again. <laughs> dig it into the bottom, big hand on the 12. And I did it, I don't know. 10, 15 times in a row, and he was listening to every one. <laughs> and he liked it. Mm. And he liked it. <laughs> but what happened was, to be unmade, it doesn't exist, really. Mm. Unmade is unmade. Associative organized crime, that's, that's not unmade. You're an associate. You do things. You're a sucker. Mm-hmm. You make money for them, right? Right. Unmade means I didn't have a prayer of being made. But being with Nikki and having the prison experience and exposure that I had with with the fighting and being locked in the criminally insane, and you know, I had a reputation. Mm-hmm. So Nikki just just kept me under wraps took me to uh, the clothing I knew I made it when he took me to Monticello's clothing store in North Providence that was another guy the Barbado family but the guy who ran it was Bobby I love him to this day I miss him dearly but he's passed Mm. and he took me in his store and Bobby was like the epitome of a gangster class 
intelligent businessman that you just don't with. I have quite Yourself, a well, uh, If you had such connections and you were unmade, did that make any made people jealous? Oh, my God. That's really why I got shot. <laughs> you hit that right on the head, Al. They were so jealous all the way. Questions were asked. People asked for permission and was refused. Right. Because I was, uh, you know, I was with Nikki. Yeah. But I wasn't totally living off of just Nikki. I did yeah. what I had to do. And if you messed with me, I didn't go to Nikki. Do you know I beat Nikki's niece's husband half to death? Jeez. Beat him half to death. I didn't even get a sit down because you know why? Why? I was right. <laughs> and when you're right, it doesn't matter with Raymond Sr., Nikki Bianco, any of those bosses, when you're right, it's over. You slap your hands together, okay, overdone, no problem. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, they were very jealous because they were capable of being made. I wasn't, but I was I was being treated like a capo. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. The main thing was, Nikki sends me to see a guy named Bobo Merapisi. Bad dude. Was his Bad first name Frank? Guy. Was that Frank yeah, Bobo? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Sends me to see him because he got out of jail. Three or four of his guys are still in Walpole, Massachusetts mm -hmm. State Prison. Nicky says, go, go see Bobo. Take care of him. Help him. Stick by his side. You're with him now. Yeah. So me and Bobo, we don't do much. We really don't do much. We we make some money. There's some things you can do that, you know, it's fine, but it doesn't add up to a pile of beans if you mm -hmm. consider what we do, me and you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he uh, had this friend, Billy Furley. Billy Furley was one of them, I'm a tough guy, I'm Sammy the Bull, I'm blah 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 and I knew he was a piece of sh from the beginning <laughs> but had to play the game right you know and then he ends up ratting a few murders happened one when I wasn't around two when I was mm -hmm. and um, it's all over Bobo's going to jail he put Nicky Bianco in there other friends of mine this guy Tommy Vito DeLuca was a big guy. He put some of these people in it that weren't even there. Hmm. But they saved him. You know, the Fed saved him. They said, yeah, just put him there and him in there. And you're all set. You can walk. Yeah. You get a 10-year suspended sentence. How can you... Please, I don't even want to get into the way yeah. protection program and how horrifying they are. What well, then... do to get people in... They'll let murderers go to get innocent people locked up. Now, how did how did you get out of the system, though? How did you? Well, I respect you for calling it a system. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving it much, much, too much credit. <laughs> but um, 
it, it took a while, Al. He says, now, Bobo goes on trial. I, I, I get a five-year deferred sentence because my lawyer gets mine shot, dropped down, which is the baseball bat being of the kid McElroy. He gets that dropped down to misimprisonment of a felony. I get a five-year suspended sentence. Now I'm able to turn him out and testify for Bobo. Bobo, Nikki, on the other charge, the Mirabella charge. Everybody gets found not guilty except that Bobo had a charge of a wise guy, made guy, in 76 that Billy also ran it on that I couldn't help him with. Mm-hmm. You know, but they know Bobo's a piece of sh- I mean, uh, Billy's a piece of sh- because of his testimony alone. Yeah, I came out the door, I had the gun in my right hand, I opened the door with my left, hmm. and the guy that was shot was way to my right, and there were four people in front of me. Well, how did he get the bullet through the four people, and what did he do? He said he stumbled. Oh, it was terrible. Hmm. It was it was so bad. It was like the Trump thing, you know, with this going on about uh, the, the whistleblower. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like that. I shouldn't get into that stuff. But <laughs> right. I, I had to throw a little in there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bobo is found guilty of not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, but the Dickie Tally murder he got found guilty of. Okay. Because Billy and another witness from Bobo's whole crew back in the 70s also ratted. So, hmm. because of that, Bobo had to go to jail. I had to stay out and, and continue everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Shylock and the, the uh, gambling, the, uh, everything. Hmm. The, the, the machines. The, I even did the asphalt business a little bit for them. Hmm. It wasn't a loss because I learned how to do the asphalt. When you take over something, you learn how to do it. Right. You know, make your mistakes and you move on. Right. But, um, so I'm doing all this. I'm seeing all the right people doing all the right things. And they just felt I was, I was, I was big game. Hmm. And this was when he was sick. So that's what I was questioning. So Nikki, when Nikki was sick, that's the only time that they could move on you, really. Yeah, but but I think they still needed permission from Bobo. And at that point, I think they didn't give a f***. Ah. Only if they asked. They didn't ask how. Hmm. So I'm down in this hole, 45-degree hole that leads to a point with like a 25-foot wall up top. And I backed my truck in there with all my gym equipment because I was moving my gym out of Cranston to Oneyville. Hmm. And I had threatened a couple of people over the weekend, Shylock-wise, one with 19,000, one with 20. And I went to them. I said, I'll kill your wife. I'll kill your daughter and son. And I'll even kill your father dog. I want to get paid by Monday. And I kind of said the same thing to both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a way of 
convincing them? <laughs> a little bit. No, no, Al, listen, it was mainly voice. Yes, yes, I, I hit hard, I knock out and all that stuff, but my voice saved my knuckles so many times. And, and reputation, and so, probably. Well, it didn't save my reputation, my voice. Mm-hmm. My, my voice made it worse. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, I don't talk like that anymore, but but I can conjure it back yeah. when need be. So, they responded, these two individuals. That's how it looked. It really didn't look like the mob was coming to get me, although in the newspapers and on TV, it said Bob Wallace and mob associate shot 10 times. They said I was shot 10 times, though. Hmm. That's funny. I was only shot nine and a half. No, I was only shot once, actually. They got me once, but it went in my kidney, through my liver, through my colon, through my intestines. So the second time you were shot was 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, the second time? I was only shot once. Well, that one time where it clicked and you were, you know, you were talking about it was clicking. <laughs> the last one, they're going to click it. Yeah, they shoot you in the head and it oh, clicked. Oh, oh, oh no. After uh, yeah, th- that bullet that went through all those organs. Right. Was the very last bullet in their chamber. Ah. So he walked right over. He was good, too. I got to tell you, he was good. I didn't feel bad. I said, I'm going out by a pro. <laughs> he walks over, I'm leaning on the car, the girls are screaming in the street inside the car. He puts the gun right on my forehead and goes, Click. then he recocks it, puts it back on my head, and realizes he had no more bullets. You know how that's a movie. we got to have a movie out of this thing. What do you mean? I'm doing a movie. I have things going on here you would not believe, but I don't want to say... Gotcha. Because, you know, this movie business is tough. Yeah. It's really tough. So so I have five actors. I have a screenplay, mm-hmm. Ron Chepsix, uh, and I are writing it. And we, we plan to be done at the end of November. Gotcha. I'm going to give it to certain people that are waiting. So we got to keep the detail. Only- we got to we got to keep the details silent, though, right? Well, I don't want to see the name because it's fresh. Mm-hmm. And once this guy steps in, it goes from a ten million dollar profit movie mm-hmm. to maybe a two hundred, two hundred and fifty. Wow! So I don't want to. I don't want to jeopardize that at all. Of course. It's, but I have some great, great uh, actors that are willing to come in, but that'll be up to the number one guy if he if he takes the whole production. Right. right. If he takes the whole production, I can't say nothing. I can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give me a nice thing I'll lick it and sit here on the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, I have but, another um, question. When did you meet Jeannie? After the shot? Jeannie... I was putting together a screenplay 13 years ago with Michael Carrenti. Mm-hmm. He did uh, f- f- uh, Hole in the Floor, 
with uh, with Bridges, Jeff Bridges, um, Alex Baldwin in Brooklyn Rules, um, The Education of Charlie Banks, uh, Federal Hill. He made a movie, Federal Hill. He made a bunch of movies. And he comes to me and says, hey, I heard about your story, kid. You're going to make a movie with me. I'll, let's go. <laughs> so one day he calls me up. I live downtown Providence. I'm in a penthouse. He's in a penthouse. He's in the Peerless. I'm in the um, Avalon. He says, come over. My girlfriend's coming over with her, with her girlfriend, Jeannie. So I, go, I said, I, I, I come over. Jeannie's there. She's a sweet-looking girl. But she starts saying, so why do they want to make a movie about you? Why is Michael doing this for you? Tell me. So I started telling her, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> so I, I kind of like shushed her. <laughs> and then there was a couple of uh, parties that we went to after Michael, her, and her girlfriend. <laughs> and um, one day she came in, she, she was wearing a golden goddess dress on Halloween with the crown, the gold leaves. And I was King Henry the Eighth, <laughs> and it was all over. She sat on my lap. You were hooked. And we talked, huh? You were hooked. <laughs> I was hooked. And guess what? The greatest things that happen to you in your world mm -hmm. are the things that you just don't realize are coming. Right. That situation stands strong with you because. She does it all. She, you know, I own a furniture store. She was moving 250-pound buffets with me. I mean, she she writes everything. She wrote every single thing I've done. Hmm. Not only for Unmade, but for anything hmm. I've done. Hmm. She's just, she's incredible. Yeah. She's incredible. I, I, I don't know, I don't deserve her. So, do you think the the success you are having now with your business is because of her, or one of the reasons? Well, look at it this way: I couldn't have done anything beyond the Michael Carenti thing without mm -hmm. her. She's right. the reason for everything and anything that happens from that moment mm -hmm. to the present. Hmm. You know, she's just unbelievable. Right, and she's and she's sexy. <laughs> she's, she's a little younger, you know. Yeah, she's like I don't know, fifteen years younger. Hmm. But um, it doesn't seem to matter because you know right. I'm a mean machine. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you've keep got, it going. You've got that uppercut hook, so I bet it wouldn't work on Jeannie though. <laughs> no, but if you go on my Facebook, you can see a few rounds, different times, mm -hmm. all within the same year, of me throwing the upper hook and mm -hmm. hitting the bag. I still got it. <laughs> I don't want it. Believe me, I don't want it, but I mm -hmm. still have it. And uh, it's amazing, actually. I'm 62. Do you think that the background you had is has helped you in your business? Well, how far are you going back, Cal? Uh, I mean, just uh, prob I guess probably all your life you probably, uh, but then 
You said well, my you... childhood, for anything great that happened in my life, I blame it all on my childhood. Hmm. And your manicness, too? Your manicness as well? The, the manicness, I don't know. I, I personally think it's a myth. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's not. But I feel like it is. Uh -huh. And when I'm manic, I, I educate myself about all different types of things. And it actually comes with me when I come down. Mm -hmm. When I come back down to earth and my lithium level goes back to like 0.9. Mm -hmm. It all comes back. It comes back with me. And it stays in my brain. Hmm. You know? But you got to keep it at bay. you got to keep it at bay. Right. You know, i got to say one thing. Now, being a wise guy was the most unbelievable thing in the world. It was probably the greatest thing on the planet. Hmm. Everybody wanted to be with us. Hollywood actors, politicians, billionaires. It was incredible, hmm. the respect, or should I say, the fear. Hmm. But I would give that all away just to have had an earlier start with Jeannie. Hmm. You know? Yeah. That's interesting. Well, the truth of the matter is, back in the day, wise guys were badass dudes. Hmm. They were respected. Today, they don't get an ounce of respect. Mm -hmm. They're actually lowlifes, according to the, the, pop, the general population. Hmm. They're lowlifes. You know, I mean, when Al Capone used to get out of his 1923 Ford sedan with his hat and his cigar, it was like, whoa. Yeah. It's Al. Yeah. If Al got out of his car now, I'd bitch slap him. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. What's he mean? Yeah. Well, I still, I still think everybody needs to know your Wizard of Oz story too. That it just intrigues me. Oh my God, that was so unbelievable. Let's see, I was, <laughs> I was in between running things before Bubble goes to jail, mm -hmm. the trials and everything. I was in the jewelry business. Then I started a moving company. So the moving company, I said, gee. We call it Ovio. So I go with the guys to go to the job, and they start singing, Ovio, Ovio, Ovio. Right? So I said, Hey, that sounds like the Wizard of Oz, doesn't it? And anyway, I ended up calling a major network, NBC Channel 10, in Providence. No, actually in Cranston. And I, I, I tell them what I want to do. They send out the crew. We make the commercial. Now, we take the two trucks that say OVO on them, big OVO letters. Mm -hmm. And I take a bunch of guys that make a V coming down a hill. 
with the trucks behind them up on the hill. Hmm. I take my ex-wife and a little dog who was Toto, and I put him in the woods, and I went to Boston and bought straw man, the tin man, and a lion outfit. Really good ones, though. <laughs> it looked really good. <laughs> so I put one guy behind a tree, another guy behind another tree, and I hide behind a tree. So all of a sudden they start shooting my ex-wife, and she says, Oh, Toto, we're lost. Where will we go? How will we get home? And then the straw man, no, not the straw man, I'm the straw man. The tin man comes out and says, well, if you had a heart, then behind the other tree comes out the lion who says, well, and if you heard the current, and then I come out as the straw man from the tree and say, well, if you had a brain, You'd call OVO, and they all say it together. Mm. And then it shows the people coming down the hill, OVO. They got four-wheelers, they got hand trucks, straps, you know, stuff, the materials for moving. Mm. OVO, OVO, OVO. Well, this went over so big. Well, well, let me finish. Let me finish the end though. So mm. at the end, we're in a bedroom in black and white. Dorothy's in the bed. I'm holding Toto. We're dressed in OVO mover outfits: the straw man, the tin man, and the lion. And she wakes up. She goes, "There's no place like home. There's no place like home." So I give her the dog, and that ends the commercial. Hmm. It was incredible. So, <laughs> I swear to God, it had to be three days later. Ted Turner's secretary, uh, Debbie Singer. So one more time, Ted Turner. Ted Turner calls you. <laughs> well, Ted Turner's secretary. Okay. Because he's way too cool. She says, uh, "Yes, you're the owner." So goes on and on. She goes, "You're." Um, commercial on NBC Channel 10 is in violation I said oh I had no idea she says yeah well if you'd like you could put together a, an array of different subjects you'd like to put the Wizard of Oz on because he bought it in 1964 hmm. and he has to approve anything and he doesn't approve anything with the Wizard of Oz but you can try so I did mm -hmm. I said I want uniforms I want uh, on, the, on the truck I want graphics I want billboards I want television spots and all this stuff here only for the reason of New England mm -hmm. oh my god I needed two and a half million dollars to get it started <laughs> they came back with all kinds of telephone numbers I said, well, forget that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I always end up somehow, I don't know what it is, I end up like with big people. Mm -hmm. like, like who I'm working with now that I can't say mm. is just phenomenal.
It's phenomenal, and and I think I'm blessed. I really do. Right. Because somehow, as bad as things look, it always comes around and turns out smelling like roses. So basically, you beat the odds. I mean, starting from where you're at and doing all this. I beat the odds? Yes. It looks like, I mean, you're successful. And probably for you, probably Genie's the top on your uh, your success, but then your business is doing well. So, but right? Genie was the creme of the creme. She was the one that really, really uh, evened me out. Right. You know, I don't want to lose her, so I'll never do anything wrong. Yeah, right. You know, doing things wrong... It's simply so wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, you got people that love you and care for you, and you're gonna do something that hurts them. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You can't come up behind me too quick now. Yeah. <laughs> you know because <laughs> I'll never be a fool. I'll never be a sucker. So, so uh, how about uh, your book? What what are you looking for? What do you want people to get out of your book? Well, I, I want them to understand that no matter what situation they find themselves in, mm-hmm. there's always a way home. Always. Never give up. Never give up. When things look so terribly... In ruination, never give up, no matter mm-hmm. how it looks. So, so Bobby, uh, uh, so quick question: How, if you want uh, people to see you or any information, do you have a website or anything? Look at crimetownshow.com. Crimetownshow dot. The podcast back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Talking about all this stuff, the Petriac Aquarium family and me and Jerry Tillinghast and a, a bunch of other guys that we were, you know, all involved. And it went to number one in the world mm-hmm. for so many months. And then it did so well that we started a live show. We went to different cities like the Wilbur Theater in Boston, the Columbus Theater a couple of times in Providence. Two different spots in New York, Brooklyn, right? And um, it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's not going to give you what you need with the book. So you need to get so the book. You need to get the book, really. But it's not really the book that I'm looking to get out there. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to announce who's starring as me and yada yada, mm-hmm. everybody else, you know, because right. that'll make me feel the redemption. Right. I right. walked away. I got away. I did what I had to do, but I walked away. And I didn't even walk away. Right. I stood still in one spot, and they, they didn't do nothing about it. Yeah. You know? And look at you now. That's excellent. Yeah. So. Well. Well, give it out. Every once in a while, I slip, and I say, Hey, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
Mm. You know, it's only yeah. it's only in the tongue, my friend. It's only in the tongue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we will have your book posted on the website as well as uh, we'll put up the Crime Town. Um, Bob, Bobby Wallison, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Al. Where's Mike? Right here. Thank you very much. All right, Find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.